our scriptures again from 1 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. He was foreknown, this is Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. Probably the most simple and most basic of all the questions that each believer must ask himself or herself is, do I have faith and hope? And if I do have faith and hope, in whom or in what do I place my faith and hope? That question might seem a bit basic for us here in this church because most of us have been coming through these doors and learning about God for a long time now, but The implication from these words in today's passage is that even the most learned and the most devout of believers are subject to error and are especially subject to wander from the faith, wander so far astray that they've lost connection, that vital connection that each of our hearts, our souls, our minds must make and keep. Else, all of our efforts, no matter how concerted those efforts may be, will be in vain. Faith and hope. What do I mean by what I'm saying, how we can err and go astray? It's this. As my dear wife and I traveled through Florida on our recent trip to attend her 50th high school reunion, we visited with several old friends and family members, some of whom we had not seen in a very long time, but others are very close friends and family members, beloved relatives. And as we observed their behavior and engaged them in conversations, my mind often went to this very concern, this very concern. Do these dear ones in front of us have faith and hope? And if they do, what is their faith and hope centered within. As I've thought through such things, I've been reminded that God is always faithful to do His part. What is His part? It's as the Lord Jesus said, No one comes to me except my Father draw them. Folks, that is an absolute truth. And it's a promise. God is continually at work within the hearts and the minds of most everyone to do exactly that. To draw them to Christ for salvation so that their faith and hope will be in God and in Him alone. As for those that we spent time with, I'm confident that God has been faithful to do His part and to draw each of them to the Lord Jesus. But unfortunately, it seemed with one after another that so many of them have resisted God's drawing and have chosen instead to place their faith and hope and other provisions. Most often, them not even knowing that source of provision and what it might be. I grieve for those dear ones. Some of them will probably be eternally lost. Again, there were many that we encountered and I'm very concerned about, but I'd like for us to spend time on two of those families in this message. The first is a woman, a fellow graduate of my wife's high school, who lived in my wife's neighborhood and whom she has known most all of her life. And this dear lady is of the Catholic faith. And as I engaged her in conversation about her faith, 
she expressed that her faith was in what she referred to as the church. The church. Meaning the Catholic church. And in all that her church and her church involvement would bring to her soul. She obviously believes in God. Or at least she believes about God. But her faith and her hope seem so much more to do with the workings of the church rather than in the person of God. And in one of our conversations, she also mentioned that she was a godparent to a particular child. And I asked her what that meant because I've never quite understood what a godparent was supposed to do. So I asked her what her responsibilities were regarding that relationship as a godparent. Now she probably thought that she knew the answer to my question, but she wasn't able to articulate it very well. When I asked her about her role in the biblical upbringing of that child, she very quickly responded that she left that to the church, the Catholic church. In other words, as the godparent of this child, other than being at the child's baptism, she intentionally did not involve herself in the God portion of that child's upbringing, but rather instead left that to the Catholic Church. And as I engaged her further in conversation regarding the Catholic Church and in its teachings, though she has been a lifelong Catholic, she admittedly knew very little about the actual teachings of the Church, saying that her husband would know more because he had attended a Catholic school in his younger days, while she herself had attended the public school with my wife. Now the point in all that I'm saying is that to some degree, this dear lady has faith and hope. She has faith and hope. But to what degree does she have faith and hope? And in whom? Is her faith and hope enough to save her soul when she stands before Christ in judgment? And her being about our age, that will not be a long time from now. I do fear that this dear one is very typical of those who have faith and hope in the way that they understand it, but do not really know who or what their faith and their hope is in. Not really. And may I say that this condition of soul is not just common to the Catholic faith, but it is also true in practice For most Protestants that I've met. Most Protestants that I've met. We take our children to Sunday school and to church. And if our church is big enough, we have all sorts of church activities. And we involve them in those. But too often, we rely almost solely on the preacher, on the Sunday school teachers, and the youth leaders to bring our children to faith and hope in Christ. We as fathers and as leaders of our family do not daily engage our wife and our children in personal teaching and admonition of the Lord. And if that be so, if that be so, are we any different than our Catholic friends? Are we not simply trusting in the church to be doing what we ourselves should be doing? Have we not put our faith and hope in the church organization rather than in the person of God. The second family that I'd like to talk about, this one has had a very 
difficult and painful experience. This family is probably very typical of many Protestant families. It's one, a family that I love dearly and I'm so very concerned about. This family is a wonderful family, a very involved church family. It is one in which all the members of the family were intensely involved in many of the activities and outreaches of their church. From teaching to faithful giving to soul winning and every other effort that their church pursued. But even so, even so, something was still able to go very wrong. A devastating occurrence that drove them from their beloved church and left them at home each Sunday wondering what they were to do next. What could have gone so terribly wrong in the lives of these dear on-fire church members to bring them to such grief, to a deep and difficult spiritual crisis, confused and wondering what to do next, and still to this moment not knowing? In their situation, it was the church leadership that failed them, and terribly so. It was discovered that the pastor, a very, very close friend, had for some time been engaging in immoral sexual behavior. That while he was standing in the pulpit each Sunday preaching solid gospel messages, he was also sinking deeper and deeper into personal sin. Now we may not know how that can take place, but it does and it did. How someone could be giving the solid gospel from the pulpit, but be themselves sinking into sin. This pastor was a very likable man who had drawn many in the congregation to himself in friendship and camaraderie and a man who could get his fellow church leaders to invest themselves and their money in in all the activities and the projects that he favored. And the church grew quickly under his leadership with many people coming to know Christ under his teaching. But then, without much forewarning at all, His immorality was discovered and everything then fell apart. Especially within the hearts and the minds of some of his closest church friends. As I listened to this account being poured out with tears and great pain, it became clear to me that these dear despondent church members had put their faith and hope in a preacher and in the workings of the church. Yes, they believed in God and devoutly so. Devoutly so, but their greater faith and hope, that which they exercised daily, was in the pastor and in the workings of the church. And right now, everything's in a mess for them, a real mess. But this story actually has a further ongoing drama to it. After a year or more of grief and broken hearts, that family began attending another church, but only to have a similar thing take place. In that new church, the pastor of that new church also got caught up in immoral behavior. And now this dear family is staying home on Sunday morning, wondering what to do next. And in my conversation with them, they also mentioned how Billy Graham's grandson, pastor of one of the oldest and most trusted churches in the city of Fort Lauderdale, right there near them, had just recently been found to have been participating in Similar immoral behavior and had to resign his position. As I've pondered the crisis of this dear family and have grieved with them and for them in their circumstance, these words of our passage in First Peter 
keep resonating within my mind. So that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. As our minds and hearts and emotions are flooded with these deep and difficult realities of life, what are we supposed to do with our brokenness? Especially, how is this dear family that has suffered so much supposed to respond? What do they do next? What do they do next? The husband was asking me that. What do I do now? My thoughts first go to the standard, almost cookie-cutter answers that so many people try to offer. And they are good and right answers. Answers such as, all men and women are sinners. And all men and women are tempted. We just have to forgive their transgressions and get on with our walk with the Lord. And again, those are exactly right responses. And those things should be said. But they are of little comfort to a broken heart. This Christianity of ours is not just a matter of which church we attend. If one pastor goes astray, we just find another pastor or another church. Yes, that may have to take place. But most often, something far deeper has been damaged within us as church members. That pastor and his misdeeds often have put a stain upon the very image of God Himself. That's what takes place. Puts a stain upon the very image of God Himself, causing hurting church members to distrust the trustworthiness of God Himself. What are they to do? What are we to think? I don't have any good answers, but I do want us in these last few moments that we have left, I want us to go back and I want us to examine the basics of who we are as believers. And further, how so many good and well-intending pastors and church leaders can suddenly wander so far astray. Perhaps by doing that, we can take a step further than just a cookie-cutter answer. Because those with broken hearts are not looking for cookie-cutter answers. Their hearts are broken. Now, as we studied only just a short time ago in the book of Ephesians, these behaviors that we've been talking about here are a part of the common warfare that comes to us out of that spiritual realm. We studied all about that in Ephesians chapter 6. Those realms of darkness that are all around us where the powers and the principalities and the dark forces of evil reside. That's where all of this is being churned up. Listen to these words. Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those heavenly places that are all around us. And they come out of those realms and they interact with us and with our church leaders and all that's taking place. Each Sunday as devout church members gather within what they hope to be the secure walls of their churches, hearing and and being fed by the bread of life and the water of life, that other side, that other side of the spiritual warfare is also busily at work. As disconcerting as it may sound to us, it can probably be said of many, many of the churches that the enemy, 
the world, the flesh, and the devil are just as actively at work right within the same sanctuary as is the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that those churches are corrupt? Not always, but sometimes. The circumstance that allows the presence of those principalities and powers of darkness to have sway within the walls of those churches resides within the hearts and souls of those who go there. Within the hearts and souls of the pastors and the church leaders and all those within the pews. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they are real enemies to our souls. These scriptures tell us so. The world with all of its tempting and beguiling enticements and allurements. The flesh, especially our own flesh and its fleshly ways of being so easily beguiled. We're prime targets of the world and the devil. And folks, I want to say again, the devil really is real. We say that we know that, but few of us really live as if he is. All of these realities of this life, they're real. And they're always busily at work, doing their wicked tasks with great zeal and fervor. That's what demons do, folks. That's what they do. That's who they are, and that's what they do. But you and I have to recall some of the truths that we've learned regarding their activities within our souls. Especially that you and I are not given the privilege of blaming that enemy for our struggles with sin. The world, the flesh, and the devil, yes, they do tempt us. But God has ordained that you and I are ever and always personally accountable for the sins that we involve ourselves in. The ultimate reality is that those pastors and those church leaders exercise their free will and they foolishly treaded upon the precious blood of Christ, crucifying Him all over again by their wretched sins, trashing both their own Christianity and the Christianity of the members of their congregation. You and I need to know that that's what took place because tomorrow the same kind of reality may visit our home or our church. So then what of the broken and discarded church members? Those who sat in the pews each Sunday listening and trusting everything that the pastor was saying to them. Some literally hanging on his every word, carefully taking notes so that they could learn and worship God. What of them? What of them? What are they supposed to do with all of this that is now pressing so heavily upon their Christianity? How do they pick up the pieces of their Christianity and go on with Christ? How can they now sit in their next church listening to their next pastor and trusting what he's saying? How can they do that? I must confess that as this dear family spoke to me about their circumstances, I had no easy answer for them as to how they could somehow get back to where they once were in their faith and hope in God. All I know is that this dear family and all the other dear families within those churches are going to have to bury themselves so deeply within the loving arms of Christ, force out all those other thoughts and memories about how they got to where they were in this mess, and simply and devoutly focus their faith and their hope in the person of Christ. He is the only relief from their suffering. 
The person of Christ. Not the church. Not all of the fellowship that they have with their friends. But in Christ Himself. One last thought. What about those pastors and church leaders that failed their church members so badly? What is to become of them? These scriptures are in many ways very clear. They must repent. Just as King David did in Psalm 51, they must repent. And let me assure you, there will probably be much weeping and gnashing of teeth ahead for those. God is just. He will require much of them because much has been given to them. And He will require much of them. I pity their souls because their suffering has only begun. My counsel to all that have been broken by those behaviors is the same counsel that I must give to myself and to you. And that is that every day, every day, faithfully, Put on every stitch of that full armor of God. That is all that will stay us through these storms from our enemies. And as we wear our armor throughout the day, you and I must stay hunkered up so closely in the crook of our Heavenly Father's arm, fixing our faith and our hope in Him alone. It is there and there alone that we will find peace. That those dear ones those dear broken church members will find peace for their troubled souls. Praise be to God. Let's pray.